Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Spark Creators. I am your host, Lee Zen. Before we dive into our second part of the interview with Kevin Cody, let's hear a story from him. It is called The Gasoline Cat. Everybody knows about cats, but have you ever heard of a gasoline cat? We had a cat growing up that I'll never forget. It's kind of hard to talk about it, but I'm going to tell you about it now. You see, this tabby cat was a huge cat. It was 10 pounds, and it loved to get in trouble. It was also somewhat mean. It wouldn't let anyone pet it or touch it, and you had to know it pretty close. But I loved the cat. My mother gave it to me on my birthday, and it was kind of my cat, and it would sleep at the foot of my bed. It would hardly ever let me touch it. And I remember the day that the cat went out to play, and my mother was always telling me, get that cat out of the house. You know I don't like cats, and your sister Pam's allergic to cats. Get that cat out of the house. And so I let it out, and I forgot. My brother Mike and my brother Steve loved to work on cars, and they were working on a 57 Chevy, and I remember the day, and they were tearing apart the carburetor, and they put gasoline all over the carburetor and put it in a big bucket, and they put each piece on the garage floor, and I looked over, and I let the cat out, and I meant to let him go outside, and I went out, and I was playing with my other brothers and sisters for a couple hours when I realized that the garage door was down and that my cat couldn't get outside. And when I looked, it was almost too late. I looked, and there was Tabby. Tabby was drinking that gasoline from the carburetor like it was water. And I tried, and my brother Mike, and my brother Steve, and my sister Pam, and Sherry, and all of us tried to get that cat from the gasoline, but it would hiss and it would claw and it wouldn't let anyone near it until it had lapped up the entire bucket of gasoline. I said, Mom, Mom, what's going to happen to Tabby? He, he, he drank up all that gasoline. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And my mom said, I don't know, dear. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And so I waited and I waited and my dad, he opened up the garage door, and as soon as that garage door was open, Tabby started running. But he was running like no other cat. Even though he was 10 pounds plus, he was moving faster than my bicycle. Some would say faster than a car. And he was going up and down the block, and he went around the neighborhood. He went around the basketball court. He went up the street and back down again. He was running and running and running, and we just sat there and we watched him and we watched him. He went up a tree, he climbed down the tree, and when he got all the way around the neighborhood one more time, he came back to the garage and he just fell over. Mom, Mom, what's wrong with Tabby? What's going on? I don't know. Well, we had a neighbor that was a vet, uh, a veterinarian, and he said, well, well, go go get Mr. Smith, and he might be able to tell us. And so we went to Mr. Smith's house, and we tried to explain, and he came over, and he looked at Tabby, and Tabby was lying there still and, and lifeless, and he was 
looking with his many tools for about an hour, and he was wondering what was going on. And about an hour, all of us sat there and we watched him. And he got up and he said, well, I don't know how to tell you this. You see, Tabby drank a lot of gasoline. The good news is he's not going to die. But let me tell you what happened. When he was running all over the place, it was because of the gasoline. And I'm afraid to tell you, Tabby just ran out of gas. All right, that's the story, The Gasoline Cat, from Kevin Cody. If you want to hear more stories like this, please go visit his website at kevincody.com. Now, let's dive into our second part of the interview. Welcome to Spark Creators, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. This podcast invites creators and entrepreneurs from all over to share their stories and ideas. We believe every kid is creative. It's just a matter of taking that first step and starting now. We hope this podcast can inspire you to create something that makes a difference in the world. If you want to stay inspired, remember to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or visit us at peachandplumlab.com podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to Spark Creators. I'm your host, Lee Zen. Today it is wonderful to have Kevin Cody, an American teacher, storyteller, and author. Kevin has told stories in over 40 states and internationally. Kevin holds a doctorate from the Ohio State University in education, storytelling, and story making. And he has taught storytelling at the university and secondary level. Kevin shares stories with a highly energetic, animated, and interactive style and is considered by many storytelling professionals as one of the most influential and dynamic storytellers and teachers today. Cody also wrote the book, Playing with Stories, Storycrafting for Storytellers, Writers, Teachers, and Other Imaginative Thinkers in 2014. He is considered one of the nation's primary advocates for youth storytelling. According to the National Storytelling Network, he is the first full-time high school storytelling teacher in the country. His work has been chronicled in the book he co-authored with Judy Sima, Raising Voices, Creating Youth Storytelling Groups and Troops. Cody also started the Youth Special Interest Group for National Storytelling Network and founded the Voices Across America Youth Storytelling Project. Through the experience you had, uh, you said, going to the conference, I heard you saying that storytelling has the parts where you're making the story and the other part is telling, right? So uh, what makes, I mean, like you just talked a little bit about making up, you know, a good story and, but what makes a good storyteller? What are the key qualities of a good storyteller? Yeah, the telling part. Sure. Um, but first, let me preface that all story 
doesn't have to be telling as the outcome. And mm -hmm. I've only learned that recently. When you're out into the world of making a story, and like, for example, my great uncle died on the Titanic. And so I tell them a little bit, yeah, I know. I tell them a little bit about that. And then we create a fictional world where I say, oh, we're all engineers and uh, the New York Times is going to come in and we have to explain why this, this ship sunk. And I remember a boy said, I left the window down, you know, <laughs> and did that. And he was serious. And the other one was an iceberg specialist. And so we made the story, but we didn't go out and say, look at us. We can be performing this story in front of 300 people. We were our own audience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes businesses and, and youth can just make a story. They don't have to perform everything. But what makes a good storyteller is an excellent, deep listener. Mm -hmm. Someone who listens to what a storyteller, what, what an audience needs. Someone who listens to what's essential, the bones of a story or the skeleton of the story so that you can add flesh and development into it. Um, that's what Vi Hilbert, who's a Saskiel elder, elder used, to, used to say. Um, and at the same time, a good storyteller is one that doesn't just practice the same way all the time. They give themselves permission to play. They step into worlds and, and they read and do a lot of research. They don't just tell the one version that they know of Cinderella since there are a thousand versions of Cinderella. They do some of the homework and if they're gonna tell an Irish tale, they're going to tell a little bit about Ireland and not say that they're Irish when they're not, but they may give a sample of what Ireland looks like mm -hmm. through the stories. Sometimes they let the stories speak for themselves, but they have to practice and, and they get a coach. A coach is a deep listener that helps move you different directions. We have a different connotation of coach, like you do this or you're not going home, you know, <laughs> kind of coach. A coach is a, a mediator, one who opens up and says, let me go into the story with you. And that's what I chronicled. Um, actually, I've written two books. One, You Don't Know Jack, a storyteller that goes to school, which is that whole story. And, and I'll use Jack to tell that story, you know. Jack is a metaphor for my teaching. Um, and I can do that because I'm part Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at the same time, um, we need to be able to listen deeply and practice that every day with sincerity. Hopefully mm -hmm. that answers the question. Got it, yeah. But listen is one way, right? Like when you tell stories, there's a group of audience or people who are in front of you so you listen and see how they react and your story or the way how you tell can change depending on the audience right but i was thinking as a storyteller because i saw you know from your website performing is part of who you are too and just like how you have been talking to me using a variety of voices and i was just thinking do you think this has something to do with performing, you know, with using your voice and also uh, the, however, what kind of personality you have, the way how you tell a story may be different, you know, from how I tell, if, even if they're the same story, right? So besides listening, let the part listens to the audience, you know, and react and respond. And are there anything related to the per person, you know, like personal traits, like the storyteller themselves, Sure. Um, recognize who you are as a storyteller. You, you don't have to be that person. I have seen amazing storytellers sit at a chair the entire time, not moving much, 
and tell for 300 people. But they know the power of their voice. They know the power of silence. They know the power of pausing. They know the power of if five people are yawning, they go, whoa, we're going to jazz this up. We're going to move it forward. But they also know the power of slowing down. And the little boy wondered. And the little boy was lost. And he looked into the woods until he could find. And then he looks, and they're, they're looking a little lost. And he found a bear, but the bear had eyes as big as saucers. And if you looked at him, knows the rhythm of a story. But they also know the rhythm of the audience. So I'm not going to tell you that you have to be a major performer to go and tell stories, especially if you're not telling for 300 people or 2,000, which I've had the pleasure but I've also had the pleasure of looking and telling a story for my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. I've had the pleasure of sitting down and saying, look at me and let's envision this story together. And we can slow down our pace. We can um, not look strict or regimented. We can feel the naturalness of ourselves telling story. I do a lot of breathing exercises. Before I tell any story in a public performance, I breathe in and I'm saying to myself, join with me as I tell this story. I don't rush. I say, join with me. I look at all the sides. And I even couch my language to, I say, breathe with me as we go into Africa. And we see what that looks like. And I take a three-second pause so that they can put it in their picture and put it in their head so that we can go there together. Got it. Yeah, that's great. You mentioned a little bit about the way how you prepare for telling stories, like, you know, to deep breathe and then give pause, you know, to people to who are listening to have this image formed in their head. Uh, are there anything else you do in the process of preparing, especially I was just thinking, you know, especially if the story um, can be kind of spontaneous, you know, in some way that because you listen, so the storytelling could be a little different from the way how you practice. So do you think practicing and also by yourself, imagining there is a group of audience in front of you, like would every time when you practice or um, you know, like storytelling would be different? And how would you choose like, oh, which version is the best, you know, like um, versus when uh, when you tell the story to a big audience in, you know, live? And then how would that change like the way how you have prepared? So if you look at the mirror, the only person you're going to see. So you should find a storytelling listening partner. Mm. Um, you can practice by yourself. You can, in your get a degree of helpfulness from that. But most of all, bounce the story with other people. Even wow. if they're small moments, um, this is a live thing. In drama, uh, the people look at an external audience on the stage. In storytelling, mm -hmm. it is one of the few arts that you have to look directly at the person and share the story with them and look out. The, the connection between storyteller and listener are extremely essential. So in your practice, you should practice with people. And you should not get a person that goes, that's wrong. I don't like that at all. Blah, 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 blah. Until you're ready for some kind of criticism of that nature. Story awareness is different than story perfection. Or there's no perfection. It always improves over time. So you want to find a partner that you just say, and they don't even have to be a storyteller. Just could you listen and tell me when you see something in your head? after I tell the story. 
or I'm having trouble with this ending. Can you listen and maybe think of other ones with me? Or can you just tell me what you like in this story? Because I'm not ready for all this criticism. Um, or just tell me the one thing that you think. Now, I do want to say this. A lot of people will see adults as storytellers. I want to encourage youth as storytellers. When I first started out, there were very few, but now there's things. I was the executive director for the National Youth Storytelling Showcase, um, and that's still around, nyss.org, I believe. Um, but this is a place where hundreds and thousands of youth can uh, learn more about storytelling. Um, and I would love it if, in, not in a competitive way, but in a way that people just create youth storytelling clubs and guilds in their library. We have book clubs. Maybe it would be more friendlier to have the middle school or the primary school storytelling club. Doesn't mean you can't talk about books, but if you're in a community that supports story, because this comes back to your question, then you have places to practice. And so when you get that big 100 seat, you're ready because you've told it to 10 and 20 and 30 or even just one really good mm -hmm. deep mm -hmm. That's That's great to hear. And you have so much experience in the youth storytelling fields, including like uh, training and also teaching others, especially youth, like high school, middle schoolers, to be good storytellers. So I would love to dive deep a little bit in this topic to ask you more about this so that kids or parents who are listening can learn a lot from this too. Yeah. You talked about how many groups or how many used storytelling groups uh, you guys have created as, you know, like a school or as a, like a tribe. But now tell me a story about like a specific person that you can think um, that who's not say life changing experience, but in some way their perspective or you know the way how they think about things changed because they learned storytelling. Jose came to my school and he wanted to help with storytelling and um, you know he wasn't the most dynamic energetic and he would say this and I took him to his elementary school and we spent a long time uh, learning stories and my youth storytelling group would do 50 shows a year in California and sometimes beyond as a public high school and they would go to school to school so I took Jose to his elementary school and all the teachers grabbed me and literally just pushed me into a room after Jose told and I said hello what's going on he said um, Jose was our student he went to this school he could barely talk when he was at our school. He said, we had such concern that he had an impediment and all kinds of things. He, they said, I have never seen Jose tell like that. I've never seen him tell with so much compassion. And Jose went on to lead the group and, and today he tells stories to his own kids. Um, and he's just one story. Now I have taught, I taught high school for uh, 15 years. I've traveled around the country. Uh, 40 states, England, Qatar, a whole bunch of places, um, seeing youth and tell stories. I remember I was in Arizona, and these students came in, and there was one student who was completely nonverbal in a wheelchair, um, and the special needs uh, students were right into the first row. 
And uh, I started telling this high energy story that had like running and moving and it was called Gasoline Cat. And I'm like, and they're running and running. And this kid who's completely nonverbal, probably in fourth grade, grabs my leg <laughs> and will not let go. <laughs> and the, the woman's yelling at him and I'm like, no. And with my hand, I'm like, calm down. So I calm the story down and we tell the story together because I make him part of the story. And then after I'm done, he sits down. And so later I hear that this is, he was so moved by the story, this was the only way he could give full expression. And it was a way of saying thank you for moving me through that story. I can't get that from a chemistry book. That might be fun, you know, for those who enjoy that. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I get rich joy in seeing how those connections are made. So whether it's Jose, who finds his voice and finds his person through being a storyteller, or it's through a child I don't even know who is so moved that when people confine him to their wheelchair and tell him, be quiet, sit down, don't go back, he needs to express himself. That's what story can do. Now, it's not the gift or the all panacea or the wonder of wonder, um, but it is a way of making connections. So you have been telling stories across the nation internationally too, and I'm sure you have told stories not only to youth, but adults and different level, different ages all around. What are the difference between telling or, or teaching storytelling to kids, like to a youth group versus teaching adults? So I think I'm the only one who does this because I kind of created it, but if someone else did it, that's fine. Uh, but with kids especially, and I've done it with some adults, but more often kids, I do a thing called ensemble storytelling. I literally will uh, have uh, 30 kids on stage that we will co-create in the story together. More than they blow a whistle or they wave a flag or they say certain things, we literally in the moment, now sometimes I'll practice with them for 40 minutes and it's even better if we can. But if we can't, we do ensemble storytelling where all 30 have some essential part in making, creating, and, and performing the story. Wow. It, it's an amazing thing, not because I do it, but because it's done. And it, it, I also do that for inquiry. I get students to talk about a subject. They're like, oh, we're talking about the Civil War. Actually, recently, believe it or not, I went to a first grade classroom to talk about um, Antietam or, or Andersonville, the Civil War camp where people were killed, you know, but they wanted to know about it. So I found a way that we could all bring that Civil War. I made the school into this Civil War place. Oh. We did it with sensitivity but they still walked out knowing that the place could hold a hundred or, you know, a thousand or whatever. And there were 3000 and people still suffered loss as a result. Wow. It's amazing. Uh, and, and then, you know, with adults, they, I have to teach them to take risks and play with mm -hmm. kids. The play is an invitation and it's there, but you have to, you have to be careful to mediate. Got it. I was just thinking when you are saying that to involve everyone, it's almost like a game, right? Like everybody can participate and everybody has a role in it. We're not like treating like those who are good at storytelling or versus maybe you're not so good, you know, differently because everybody has their own perspective and that like perspective adds into the story no matter how different it is. 
And I like that. If a hundred students are, are are watching, I even try to find ways that they can participate. I oh. give them a line that says like, don't go there, don't go there. And, I, and whenever I wave my hand, but the kids on stage are helping create and the other ones watching are listening and then they're part of the story. This is not an easy practice. I don't do it with every story, um, but I, as a story educator, researcher, and I'm also a professor of literacy, I'm looking at new ways to connecting the text. And I know story works. And why not bring everybody together to help tell it? It's very important to, yeah, have that. I guess because you don't know, never know where the story goes, you know, like it will create new story depending on what group or different groups. Yeah, like and different personality and different kind of ways of telling stories can be brought into the same story. And that itself is powerful and also gives people a sense of, I guess, collaboration and achievement when you accomplish this together um, is a big piece. Yeah. So I've done this for preschool where one day I walked in and I said, guys, I just got a letter that the zoo is remodeling and they want to know if we want a monkey in our classroom and can we take care of monkey? And from eight o'clock to four o'clock, I'm like, I'm the monkey, uh, the fence inspector, and I need to know that this fence is this big. Like, oh, yes, it is. Uh, But there's weeds there. I don't think this is monkey friendly. I'm sorry, but no, 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 we'll work, we'll work. And then they would come in and they'd be like, oh, do they eat bananas? Can they have pizza? I'm like, no, that's, and I I got like uh, uh, 30 picture books and data on monkeys. And these preschoolers are like, look, they're eating bananas, but there's no pizza. And, and we're doing monkey exercises based on my study of monkeys. And, um, and it was just absolutely fun. So we can do that with preschool. And it's not only fun with dramatic play or play through inquiry or what I call ensemble storytelling, but I can do it with teenagers, middle schoolers, or any grade. But I've got to accept where they are and who they are and then build from that. Uh, storytelling curriculum. That's great to hear. I was just about to ask you the next question, which is like, related to age, you know, like limits or age difference. Yeah, do you think, is there an age appropriate, you know, like practicing or, or telling stories? And you already said preschoolers can definitely do this together, you know, with teacher, you know, with, yeah, like anyone who... We might stop at 165. hundred. <laughs> okay, I was like, is it an <laughs> story should always be in our life. Play should always be in our life. I your listeners should ask themselves, in the last 48 hours, have I really played? I mean, whether it's playing as an adult or playing as a child, bring play back to your life. Yeah. I, I challenge them. That story will come as a result of learning play. Turn off the television, look over and say, I know it sounds silly, but let's pretend we're monkeys. No, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're with kids, there's a different kind of play you can do yeah. <laughs> depending yeah, yeah, on the yeah. age range. Definitely. But why not, right? Yeah. So for younger kids, definitely, as long as they remember what you're talking or they can express anything, then you can involve stories into, you know, the play, definitely. Well, the research is that we cannot go away from story. It's a matter of just waking up and recognizing it. We have people um, you know, like Thomas Newkirk and we have Jonathan Gottschall who says we're storytelling animals mm-hmm. and it's part of our DNA and we need not forget it. 
And so let's quit running away from our narratives, our own stories. Uh, why don't we look at our ch children and say, let me just tell you what it was like when I was seven. And, you know, not with the purpose of being moralizing. You know, even Aesop did not put morals at the end of his tales. Uh, the publisher put them on there um, in case we didn't get them. He never intended for morals because stories can teach us different things within different stories. It's not, this will teach you all about courage today. They might get something else from it. They might get strength from that story. Let, let's let them do that. Um, to wrap up, like I would maybe ask, you know, three more questions. Definitely um, two, the two more are related to suggestions, both to parents and kids. Yeah, so what are your suggestions to parents, teachers who wanted to teach youth or kids about how to tell good stories? So the first thing is, uh, parents, don't just be listeners, be tellers. And don't worry about it being a practiced performance. They want to know so much. One of my students said to me, every story that you choose has a little bit of you in it. Mm. So we need to accept that. Whether we're telling about a giant bear, we chose that story, so it's part of us. Um, and when we look at what we're telling for kids, then tell for the kids. Don't just go, this is a great children's book. I liked it. That doesn't mean your kid's going to like it. Find out a little bit about them. And then listen to their stories. Also teach them the skills. I mean, there are, you know, we had a student that had Down syndrome, and every story that she would tell every week was about finding a boyfriend. And it lasted 15 to 20 minutes. And I remember the day that she came in and she said, um, do you have other stories? And I just learned, I, my students never said, you know, you're taking a long time. She said, I can't hear everybody else's story if I tell all the time. And I only tell about this one thing. And she changed on her own. Mm. And that's what generosity of story is going to be. So don't make it competitive. Don't try to outdo, outwit, or outclever. Just listen. Create the story space. And mm. physically create a story space if you can. If you're in a car and you're driving long journey, you can't really go, oh, we'll stop and we'll make a circle. You know? But when you can, create a physical place that's new that's not just standard and say, this will be our story circle and we can tell the stories of the day. Make it part of a habit or a custom that, you know, at the end of the day, come and say, sit down, let's go to the story circle and let's find out what you can tell me today. Not just your day, but just a story. And they'll say, there once was a unicorn who couldn't do algebra or whatever. <laughs> Yes, yes. So definitely from what I heard is that when you tell a story or even when a little kid tells a story, there's no right or wrong. Like anything, like any way can be a story of their own. And it is a practice. I mean, you can sit down and talk about it and say, hey, maybe it would be better if we added a new character. Can I enter your story as a unicorn that loves calculus? I'd love to do that. Ask, invite, and if you accept the invitation, move inside the story. Or say, hey, I love that story. You want to know what I love the most about it? And if you say, I love the fact that you wrapped it up so well, the next story that they do, they'll remember that you need to wrap it up so well. So there's no like negative judgment, but there's encouragement and also participation. So you can be part of it. 
if you've been telling stories for a while with this child or, or with a group of children, there will be a point where they say, I don't just want all the happy things. I want the things that I want to be better at. And you can say, would you mind if I just give you a small uh, hint of help? If I give you a praise, but also give you a suggestion for the next time you come? Because stories improve over practice. No, don't, don't just listen and go, oh, that's great. I mean, who likes a, um, a teacher that looks at their paper and goes, oh, it's great, needs nothing? Always needs something. Uh, you know, a gift can only be better. And so we need to give them real feedback when they're ready and they ask for it. That's great. And now what about kids? <laughs> If you would tell them and say, like they, they say, oh, I want to be a storyteller and I wanted to tell everyone about my stories and what would you say to them? Well, let kids have that kind of ownership, but be, be over there to help them. Let them, um, you know, adapt, a, get five kids and meet in a library or a school or someone's home and, and also have expectations. Oh, we're going to meet once a week, same consistent time so people can make story part of their practice or once a month because here's the deal. I know the literacy rates. I teach literacy. I know that students' vocabulary by 10 minutes a day, if you simply read 10 minutes a day, will, will prepare them so much better for school at all ages and levels and adulthood. And at the same time, if they are telling from their own vast vocabulary and they're listening for a half hour to an hour once a week, you are giving them a growth boost. And they'll come in as a kindergartner, as a fourth grade reader, or whatever it is. And even if they don't come in that way, they will have an insatiable desire for narrative. And their teachers will see that, and they will learn so much more. So if kids want to be storytellers, let them. But don't pit them against a competitive, we're going to outdo this story, um, and I'm better than you. Do it as a compassionate gift for exchange. And do it consistently so that they grow in the skills. And then if you want, you know, go to storynet.org, enlist a professional storyteller, bring them in. Every state has a circle of storytellers, a guild, mm. almost of them. Um, and then sometimes grandpa, who just went deer hunting, can tell his story within, you know, caution, you know, <laughs> you know depending on what age level. But so yeah. kids want to be storytellers. Teach them to be story listeners, storytellers, and create a group that supports it. Mm, definitely. Don't do this alone because you can, you know, like tell much better stories if you have listeners and have people who support you too. Yeah. And you mentioned about storyteller.net. Is that a network? Yeah. What are other... Storyteller.net is another site. Uh -huh. Story, Storynet.org is the home of the National Storytelling oh. Network. Storyteller.net is run by a friend of mine, Sean Bovla, uh, and he also has uh, some great resources. The National Youth Storytelling Showcase is a, a place that youth can get involved in storytelling. I also heard that KevinCordy.com might be pretty good. Yes, <laughs> definitely, yeah. And so I do. I get emails from all over, from kids, from adults. Um, and I answer all my emails so that, that they can have the story connection. Because like I said, I learned storytelling by myself for about a year and a half, and I know what it's like to search. 
So I want to help people make the connections so that they don't have to. Serve. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What are yeah, other some resources yeah. or books you wanted to recommend to your well, audience? You wanted to recommend to your audience? I definitely re recommend Storyteller's Startup Book by Margaret Reed McDonald. Um, I wrote a few books, uh, Playing with Stories. Um, there are some other texts. Uh, the Storyteller's Startup Book would be really good. Um, there's the Storyteller's Guide, but I'm thinking ones. Um, toward uh, the the kids and then from the adults. Um, there's Storytelling and Imagination by Nancy Mellon. It's a new version, so I'd have to look at it. I also am a social justice advocate. I work with Teaching Tolerance, and there's a book called Spinning Tales, Weaving Hope. That would be a good story. And, and if I can help, you know, if someone out there is like, I need to find the story so that it works for this purpose, I can hopefully make the connection for you or um, a recommendation. I do think that playing with stories, the book that I wrote, will help move you inside story in a different way because it talks about storytelling and story play. Um, and I think as uh, Socrates said, you can tell more about a, a person one day in using play than their whole life. Mm. And so play is the real work that we do and it's the thing that matters. And so we should tell that story. Thank you so much, Kevin. I just think that me personally learned so much yeah, through this conversation that storytelling, it's so important. And it is something that I think like through our conversation that anybody can do and you can do it anywhere with, you know, anyone else like around you too. Like if you know how to tell good stories and this skill, this, um, you know, like practice can be done anywhere, you know, like it has no age limit and there's no, um, you know, restrictions on how you tell it. And it's just a way of capturing imagination, creativity, you know, like self-expression into the storytelling. And it, it can be so powerful to connect people, you know, to play together and to enjoy each other, you know, like listen to each other. And I think it's, it can be like so wonderful not only for school for educators but also for a family you know like relationships with the kids with parents and with friends yeah I feel like any group can be part of this storytelling like group yeah well let me compliment the mission that you're on you're looking at youth as entrepreneurs you're looking at youth as creators and shapers and we need to see them that way but we also need to see those who support those missions because it's a collaborative mm -hmm. thing Sometimes kids will give up and go, oh, I'm not a maker. I'm not an artist. I'm not. A... And that's because somewhere, somewhere down the line, someone told them they weren't doing it right. The first time doesn't have to be the last time. And with a podcast like yours, it's a constant reminder that, uh, that their story makes a difference, that people can help people, and that we can help you feel really good about what they do and how they do it or find out how to do it. So mm -hmm. thank you. And I feel honored um, to be part of it. Uh, and I want to wish you more on the story that you're building. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's rare to hear things like this, but thank you so much for your compliments and also encouragement. Yeah, like to do this type of things together. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at peachandplumlab.com.